Hi, this is James Barris. I hope you find this talk supports you in your practice. If you'd like to support my teaching, you can use the donate button underneath my picture on Dharma Seed to do that. Your support is greatly appreciated. Last week, um, we, uh, we talked some about enlightenment from a classic meditative perspective and want to mention, just in case you don't have it, this is the uh, current issue of Inquiring Mind on Enlightenment, uh, which is really fine. Are there any more in the back? Did, uh, there are. So there, there are some copies in the back. You can help yourself if you, if you want to see it. Um, and when we, uh, we looked at the classic meditative path, the prescription, the recipe for enlightenment, looked at uh, from uh, some of the teachings in the Pali Canon and in the commentaries um, that came later on. You do this, 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 this. You keep on practicing mindfulness, some concentration, and you go through what are uh, called, at least in one map, progress of insight and various stages of enlightenment. It doesn't always work out like that, so neat. But that is one very um, valid and useful map to see how the mind and the heart can be purified and develop and awaken. As I mentioned last week, there are many other Uh, approaches to awakening. All of these teachings, want to remind you and those who are here for the first time, are not just to feel good, although there's nothing wrong with that, to come to some uh, reduction of stress, to find some some peace of mind, to um, uh, open the heart, somewhat, love more, all of those things are beautiful. But the Buddha said, go for the whole thing. Go for the highest happiness, which is sometimes called the sure heart's release or the unshakable deliverance of mind where you are completely liberated from suffering and open to the highest happiness and peace. He said, go for that one and all the other happinesses will come along the way. So you're not going to miss out on anything. And whether or not that happens in your lifetime, you can't lose because you're facing in the right direction And in the process, you're purifying your heart and purifying your mind, and you're facing in the direction of greater and greater well-being and freedom. So there are, as I said, many approaches to, to do this through different lineages in Buddhism and also other than uh, the Buddhist path. And they all have to do with, or at least the essence of them, 
seeing through this idea of who we think we are. You ever have somebody come up to you and say, who do you think you are anyway, right? Well, it's a very profound question if you really take it all the way. Who do you think, who are you? Who are you? What is it? What does it mean to be alive? How is it that somehow life has manifested through this form called you, or that you call me? And if you really take it all the way, both investigate with a deep inquiry and with a, a complete surrender to a meditative approach as another way, then you will come to see both the unsettling and great news. You're not who you thought you were. You're both much less than you thought you were and infinitely greater than you could have imagined who you are. So the, the path that we talked about last week is kind of a gradual path. It's, a, it's one where you are on track, and even the word path kind of defines it. I'm here, I keep on working, keep on developing, then I'll maybe get to this stage or this, and at some point, you know, if one were to think in terms of a linear model, you know, I, I'll get to the finish line and have it made. It's not actually the best way to think of it, although the word path is used. Because wherever you are, when you become free or liberated or enlightened, whatever word you want to use, I can assure you one thing. It will be in the now, and it will be right here. So it's not about out there. But there is a kind of developmental uh, approach to doing that that is, that is very effective and works. That is sometimes called the transcendent model, where you transcend, you are moving out of the normal waking consciousness and opening up to, uh, uh, to a transcendent uh, um, uh, experience, and you kind of you know, reach the promised land. Say. Then there's a whole other approach, which one could say is um, an imminent model of freedom. Rather than, I'm here now, if I practice hard and diligently, uh, I, will, um, I will arrive at this experience of freedom, there's a whole other approach that says it's already here right now you don't have to go anywhere in fact your thinking that you need to go somewhere is the great paradox that is working against yourself that when you stop all your trying and stop all your struggling and striving Freedom has been here all along. We just haven't recognized it. Or we might have moments or glimpses, but miss it. 
so I want to talk tonight particularly about this, uh, this approach, which can have, uh, there are many different expressions within Buddhism that, um, that have this particular take on freedom. I want to also mention, I think I mentioned this last week, but just so you know, this is not just something new or something that, uh, you know, is a, is a, uh, you know, a postmodern Buddhism um, interpretation. The Buddha in the, in the Pali Canon, in, in the, the body of teachings that preserve what he taught, there are many, many instances, much, many more instances of people becoming free, becoming enlightened, hearing a talk, just hearing, hearing a talk and having that open the mind and the heart to freedom that hadn't been there before. Many more instances of that than people sitting under a tree, although that happened quite a lot, uh, but people sitting and practicing, he certainly exhorted people to do to meditate. It's a, it's an essential part of the teaching. But uh, many more instances where it happened in a moment. One of the the, the um, differences in the gradual path or the imminent opening to reality. Is, has to do with um, where, what, the, what the awareness looks at or explores. In this world, one can say there is a subject and object, whether it's in grammar or in real life, so to speak, that you are, say, from your reality, you are the subject, when we say somebody, it's a subjective perspective, meaning it is a, something that is an internal reality looking out there. So subject, I am striking that bell, and that is the object. And in, the, in most meditative approaches, or many meditative approaches probably that people are familiar with, uh, often what is, the instructions are to notice the objects of experience, like noticing the breath. So I am noticing this breath, and I put I in quotes, but there is... There is an awareness that's knowing and noticing the breath, or hearing a sound, or feeling a sensation. And you can notice, as we talked about it last week, you can notice changing experience in a very subtle and precise way that reveals the impermanent nature of reality, and that can lead to a tremendous uh, opening and awakening. But it is the awareness that's noticing objects out there. Okay. But there's a whole other way of meditating or exploring reality where instead of looking at those objects out there, 
the awareness looks at the subject itself, notices the awareness that's doing the awareing. And much of the, this kind of imminent approach is not concerned with what's out there, but what is doing the seeing and what is doing the knowing. Okay, is it, are you with me so far? So tuning into the knowing itself is a very profound exploration. One other thing about this approach of, of imminent reality. Mm. Uh, last week, we talked about consciousness itself. Um, and in, uh, in the classical model, and I, I'm, I'm thinking, I'm just now realizing all of these uh, students uh, and people who are maybe here for the first time. So if this, whatever you don't, does not resonate with you, whatever just seems too kind of weird or whatever, just let go what doesn't make sense and whatever is useful, fine. Um, but I'm just going to kind of Say whatever comes out anyway. <laughs> so there is this consciousness, this knowing of experience. And as we talked about last week, sometimes uh, in these higher stages of, of, um, of meditation, the mind can, uh, can see very, very quickly all these subtle experiences and then there's, uh, you go through, we talked about it last week, you know, rising and passing of experience and things start to dissolve and it gets a little bit scary and then you kind of get this disenchanted with the whole thing. And then there's, a, a, you, you long for release and you open up to deep equanimity. And then there is this mysterious cessation of consciousness itself in a classical model where you're not around, you don't even know that there's consciousness. You're not around, basically. And then you come back and say, whoa, what was that? And you kind of tune into, in some interpretations, the unconditioned reality. Okay, So that's that's one way to think of this enlightenment experience, where there's where the consciousness actually stops, but you're not asleep. Then there's a whole other way to look at enlightenment as far as consciousness goes, which is that consciousness doesn't stop, that there is awareness, but there is an awareness that all defilements are dropped. All tendencies of mind that get us confused, wanting, aversion, any kind of disturbance of mind, and there is an awareness of that cessation. And 
this is a kind of tricky point, and, I, and I'm actually going to, I have a, a few resources uh, because sometimes words are, are hard to explain, are hard to, uh, to get it to express or articulate what I, what I want to do, and sometimes there's beautiful ways that it's, that it's put. I want to read particularly this, this piece uh, from this book that I highly recommend, One Dharma by Joseph Goldstein, where he's looking at, this is my teacher, where he's looking at these various seemingly contradictory approaches. And it, used, it kind of confused, he, he wrote this book, if you, if you never uh, heard of it before, he wrote this book after being confused himself because he's, this is somebody who's been practicing for now, you know, 45 years or so, um, where in one lineage they say this is how it works, and in another lineage it's completely different when he started hanging out with Tibetan practices, and they say, no, it's not that way, it's this way. And he, he, he couldn't put these two, two and more than two perspectives together, and instead of saying, you know, who's right, he wrote this book, and saw where they all, uh, they're all facets of, of, of reality. And I want to just read this particular point. Um, and this is from the Thai tradition, the Thai forest tradition, which is different, say, than where I talked about last week, was more a, a Burmese, these days, classical Burmese meditative approach. And the Thai forest is more like this imminent reality that's here all the time. Masters from the Thai forest tradition describe the experience of freedom, nibbana, from quite another perspective. This tradition flowered in the late 1800s when Ajahn Sao and Ajahn Mun, two monks who became renowned for their ascetic discipline and extraordinary meditative attainments, settled in the forests of northeast Thailand. The conventional mind is ruled by the tides of proliferating thoughts that are conditioned by ignorance and craving, that is, our usual mind. When these defilements are uprooted through mindfulness and wisdom, then the true mind, or the mind released, appears to its full extent. This is sometimes described as simple awareness or utterly pure. This awareness has no center or reference point of self. It cannot be located in any particular spot. It is unsupported, unconditioned, unconstructed. But how can we understand this teaching about pure awareness in relation to the Buddha's exhortation that all consciousness is conditioned and that when you're really free, it falls away. This is one of the sticking points between the Burmese and Thai traditions. Two understandings of nirvana, nibbana, found in the Theravadan teachings can provide a useful framework for holding each of these descriptions as different aspects of one dharma. The first is the experience of nibbana in which all the aggregates cease, cessation of consciousness. In the second, 
there is an awareness of nibbana, an awareness of the sensation of all conditioned phenomena. Here, one writer says, there is a consciousness of the very cessation of consciousness. Instead of a consciousness of objects, here we have a consciousness without an object or support. And it goes on to say how in certain places in the Pali texts, the Buddha talks about this kind of consciousness. So this is a whole different thing. Instead of thinking, oh, I've got to get rid, I've got to have a blank reality, somehow the mind stops, that you don't have to stop anything. It's just you're tuning into the awareness that sees all defilements have ended. And there's many different expressions of this in various, um, uh, various lineages. Here's one simple uh, anecdote that explains it. This is a great book, by the way, 365 Nirvana, Here and Now. It's, um, it's fun. There's each, each page has a different story. This is a Zen master reporting to a discouraged student who is saying, um, I want to find, I want to experience transcendent enlightenment. And the Zen master writes back, your letter informs me that your root nature is dim and dull. (laughs) So that though you make efforts to cultivate and uphold the Dharma, you've never gotten an instant of transcendent enlightenment. The one who can recognize dim and dull is definitely not dim and dull. Where else do you want to seek transcendent enlightenment? Just arouse yourself right here and see what it is. The one who does the arousing isn't anyone else. He's just the one that can recognize dimness and dullness. And the one who recognizes dimness and dullness isn't anyone else. He's your own fundamental identity. Simply see what the one who can know dimness and dullness like this ultimately is. Just look right here. Don't seek transcendent enlightenment. Just observe and observe, and suddenly you'll laugh out loud. Beyond this, there's nothing that can be said. This is from the Thai great Thai master, Ajahn Chah, who is Jack Kornfield's teacher and really a a lineage holder for all of us. Another way of of saying this, same thing. About this mind, in truth, there's really nothing wrong with it. It is intrinsically pure. Within itself, it's already peaceful. That the mind is not peaceful these days is because it follows moods. The real mind doesn't have anything to it. It's simply an aspect of nature. It becomes peaceful or agitated because moods deceive it. The untrained mind 
is stupid. Sense impressions come and trick it into happiness, suffering, gladness, and sorrow. But the mind's true nature is none of those things. That gladness or sadness is not the mind, but only a mood coming to deceive us. The untrained mind gets lost and follows these things. It forgets itself. Then we think that it's we who are upset or at ease or whatever. But really, this mind of ours is already unmoving and peaceful, really peaceful. Just like a leaf, which is still as long as no wind blows, if the wind comes up, the leaf flutters. The fluttering is due to the wind. And the fluttering inside is due to those sense impressions. The mind follows them. If it doesn't follow them, it doesn't flutter. If we know fully the true nature of sense impressions, we'll be unmoved. Our practice is simply to see the original mind. So we must train it to know those sense impressions and not get lost in them, to make it peaceful. This is the aim of all this difficult practice we put ourselves through. So he's saying... You don't have to pacify the mind, or you don't have to go looking for something exotic and remote. It's already your nature. You just don't have to get confused by all the things that entrance us. Another way to say it, in the Tibetan tradition from Anam Tupton, who is, he's been here before, he's a fabulous teacher, He has a funny way of putting things, saying pretty much the same thing, but from a whole other style. This is from No Self, No Problem, a really wonderful book. I want to remind everybody that enlightenment is more than possible. Enlightenment is always knocking on our door. This is not just some kind of optimistic Buddhist good news. This is the truth. When we start inquiring about into what is holding us back from realizing the truth, we come to the realization that there's really nothing there. There are no obstacles. Nothing is holding us back from awakening. This is very amazing to see, and this is a shortcut to enlightenment. We are the only ones not allowing ourselves to be free. We might ask, well, if there's no obstacles holding me back, then why am I not awakened right now? And when we look, we realize that we are attached to our thoughts. That's all that's happening. Samsara, this endless wheel that of, of suffering that we're on, is nothing more than our identification with thoughts. That's all there is. There's nothing there except thoughts. Ah, one last thing from him. So this is to open up to transcendent wisdom. And what is transcendent wisdom? It's a direct momentary process of dissolving all illusion right now in this very moment. It's a beautiful way of losing everything, not a painful way. What does it mean? It means transcending everything. 
It begs and demands that we dissolve or transcend everything. It's simple because in the ordinary sense, we don't have to do anything. Doing nothing means giving up all mental exertion. And in the third Zen patriarch, it says, um, all is empty when you really see the truth. The mind is, your true nature is empty, clear, self-illuminating with no exertion of the mind's power. When you stop trying so hard, it's already here. I studied, as, as I've mentioned many times before, with this Advaita teacher, Punjaji, or Papaji, is sometimes called. Uh, not a Buddhist, but out of the Ramana Maharshi lineage. And he would say, you know, stop all of your effort. Here, I went to him after I'd been you know, practicing for you know, a few decades, really trying hard to sometimes get somewhere. And he'd say, stop, stop all of your effort. No effort at all. No place to land, he'd say. Stop all my effort. This takes a lot of effort. No, stop all your effort. Just relax and be. See who you are all along. Oh. And he had an, an extraordinary energy field, and often something would happen in that. And, and uh, as with many people, something did happen. That, my mind actually did stop in, in one exchange with him. I don't know what happened or where it went, but something happened. And it was, it was deeply impactful. But here's the, here's the danger. Um, a lot of people would go to Punjaji and say, you know, they have this amazing, mind-blowing experience, and then they'd go away from him and be out of his energy field and kind of lose it, and they'd come back and say, could you do it again? <laughs> so... Uh, because one thing he would say, or that could easily be misinterpreted, was you're, you're already free, you don't have to do anything, you're already enlightened. And then they'd have this experience of real freedom, and sometimes they'd think, oh, happened, I don't have to do anything else. But that's where there were problems, because... Even if you have that experience, it's not the end of the game. And a lot of people got caught in that. I'll just say a little bit more and and then... uh, Yeah, talk about that. So, what is behind those thoughts? when you stop identifying, when you stop attaching to those thoughts, you get in touch with the awareness that has always been shining through. And you can call it awareness. You can call it love. It's just another expression of the same thing. You can call it consciousness. You could call it emptiness. You could call it the still small voice within 
You could call it the kingdom of heaven. There's lots of different names and lots of different traditions. You can call it God. But there's something deeper than those superficial layers of thoughts that we're usually operating on. Your true nature is often what it's called. This is uh, the Buddha saying, Luminous is this mind, brightly shining, but it is colored by attachments that visit it. This unlearned people don't understand, and so they don't cultivate the mind. Luminous is this mind, brightly shining, free of the attachments that visit it. This, the noble follower of the way, really understands, and so for them there is cultivation of the mind. In the Tibetan uh, teachings of Dzogchen, D-Z-O-G-C-H-E-N, this opening up to this pure awareness is called uh, resting in Rigpa, Primordial awareness, the awareness that's here all along. Everything is pure and perfect. Your true nature is pure and perfect. The space beyond thoughts. But it's not easy to stay there. You might get little glimpses, but that's, as I said a moment ago with Punjaji, that's not the whole deal. And so it's important to understand this, that even though there's an imminent reality that we can open up to at any time, you have to keep on cultivating that capacity to open up to it. It's not like, I got it, okay, that's, the big, that's it, that's the deal, okay, And so this teaching is called Sudden Awakening, where you penetrate, you see through the game, sudden awakening and gradual cultivation. That even when you have a deep opening to the unknown, you have to keep on doing your work because there's lots of conditioning and habits and patterns that we get caught in, that we have to be very humble to, um, to see that there's work here to do. This is Shanul, a, a great Zen master, coined that expression. Sudden awakening, gradual cultivation. Just like in last week when we talked about the different stages of enlightenment. You can have a, the first stage of enlightenment, and the, there's a, a few things that drop away, but there's still desire and aversion. And the second stage of enlightenment, that drops a lot, it's attenuated a lot, but there's still other things that you've got to do. So until you're fully enlightened, you've got to keep doing it. And at the same time, at any moment, reality is here to be experienced. So it's kind of like this paradox. You've got to keep working on yourself, but you're not trying to get anyplace else. You're just trying to remember what's here all along. And in that, you can't just say, okay, well, 
I got the idea I can, um, you know, I can move through the world and just dance through the world and do whatever I want because I'm open to the ultimate reality. There's a, a line from this great Tibetan master, Gampopa. He says, though my view is as vast as the sky, just see, I, I see the whole picture and there's real freedom, my attention to karma, to cause and effect, to my, my actions, is as fine as a grain of barley flour. So if you're really free, then you're actually that much more aligned with kindness and with not doing things that are harmful for your, to, towards yourself or towards others. And with this also, um, when you see that reality, when you see the bigger picture, this is the, the, the amazing thing. Sometimes people think, oh my goodness, if I really open up to seeing that I'm not who I thought I was, I'm going to disappear. It's kind of unsettling, unnerving. What happens if I'm not around? What happens if who I thought I was is gone? You know, <gasps> you know, it's scary. Imagine your whole identity being pulled out from under you. And this happens on retreat. And people say, whoa, I don't know if I'm ready for this. I thought I wanted to be free, but uh, it's getting a little dicey here. Um, And so it gets a little. It takes a little getting used to a shift of perspective, where you know you know you're supposed to stop on the red and go on the green, but it's all just meaningless on another level. You know, it's all just this game, and where am I in this game? Well, the more you kind of get comfortable with that bigger perspective, where it's all just a game. This is all just a game because there's a whole other reality that you've opened up to. The more you can play at the game of being who you are. And that is tremendously freeing. When you're not taking yourself quite so seriously and you can dance in both levels. Yeah, nobody here, but this is my zip code. And... (laughs) And so there's a real lightness of being, the unbearable lightness of being. You know that I love that, that the title of that, that book, the unbearable lightness of being, because you're not dense and stuck in this, am I enough? Will people like me? How do I compare with others? Doing pretty good today. All that I, 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 is is not operating and there's a tremendous freedom of of being when you're not so focused on i it's exhausting it's exhausting imagine being so and i'm you probably have had this experience yourself but being so um unconcerned with how you're coming off because it doesn't matter 
You're just, it's just a game of life moving through expressed as that your form that you've got energy to kind of check everything else out. Then life becomes kind of interesting and you can dance and play and actually be interested in everything around you instead of how am I doing? So whether or not you are you relate to one particular model or another, the meditative path or the imminent path, or when is it going to happen or when is it going to happen, all of that stuff gets in the way. It's really always going to be awakening happening in this moment right now. So rather than working hard to get somewhere, it's throwing yourself into this moment right now. As Ramdas says, plumb the depths of this moment. And the cool thing is, the wonderful thing is, if you are committed to waking up more and more and more, whether or not you get enlightened in five years or five lifetimes, you are facing in the direction of greater and greater freedom. There's a purification of mind and heart that happens. You're being used. Life is using you to discover itself, to be free in itself. Yeah, I'll close with one, one last one poem. I might have read this before. I love this poem by Dana Falls. This is called Awareness Knowing Itself. Settle into the here and now. Reach down into the center where the world is not spinning and drink this holy peace. Feel relief flood into every cell. Nothing to do, nothing to be, but what you are already. Nothing to receive but what flows effortlessly from the mystery into form. Nothing to run from or run toward. Just this breath. Awareness knowing itself as embodiment. Just this breath. Awareness waking up to truth. Some time if anybody has any comments or questions or anything. And uh, here, why don't you pass this? Here, Dylan, you pass it Raise your hand back, back over there. And put it right next to your lips, yeah. We'll James, be going soon. when you were speaking about just the pureness of mind, the, um, the, the pureness of mind and uh-huh. bodhicitta came Bodhi- to mind, and if you could just make a connection to that. Absolutely, yeah. There, uh, there was a whole piece I had on bodhicitta, but I just left it out. So bodhicitta 
is, uh, sorry about that. <laughs> Thank you for, uh, for reminding. So bodhicitta is, bodhi means awake, like Buddha, the awakened one. Awakened and citta, uh, C-I-T-T-A, uh, stands for either heart or mind. They're the same word. Sometimes people point to their, uh, their heart when they talk about, oh, my mind is heavy today in, uh, in, in, in Asia. No separation. So bodhicitta literally means the awakened heart or awakened mind. And it talks about there is this seed of awakening that is right in you. It is life expressing itself as you, that there is a purity there. And we can maybe hear it from time to time, calling us to, it yearns to be free. And that part of the process is more and more getting in touch with that purity of heart that is trying to call itself to you to be awakened. There's another aspect to bodhicitta on the relative side where there's this feeling of connection with life and there's a, a, a kind of um, movement towards, as you see the, the connection that we have with all of life to benefit others as well. So there's a relative bodhicitta which is expressing your compassion an absolute bodhicitta, which is this place in you that, that yearns to be free, that is very pure and wants to express itself. So this is just another um, paradigm of that uh, imminent reality. Just hear, You ever hear that call that, that says, you know, I, want, I want to wake up, I want to be free? You know, where is that coming from? I mean, besides, sometimes it's like, I want to be free, get me out of here. You know? yeah. But when, there's, when it's coming from a really pure place that says, I truly want to be free, that's not just self-referenting, but is a, a kind of um, a deeper dimension of opening, that that place, if you can hear it, the more and more you can hear it, the more it will pull you right through to, to, to freedom. Your desire, your yearning for freedom, Punjaji used to say, the desire for freedom is the most important thing. Your yearning for it, if you keep on hearing it, will, will take you right through. Um, one of my attachments... A little bit louder. Yeah. One of my attachments that continues to come back is my attachment to justice. Mm-hmm. And I get angry. I feel angry when I notice things happening unjustly. Can you give us a Dharma perspective on letting go of that attachment? Attachment to being angry when things are unjust. Or the anger that's there. You know, uh, the, uh, this is a very, it's a very important um, thing to come to terms with because there's so much injustice 
what do you do? Just say, oh, well, that's just the way things are. So you know, that's not going to do it. In fact, Bhikkhu Bodhi, who was here a few months ago, I think somebody asked him that night, well, what about outrage? And he said, you know, if you're not outraged sometimes, you know, you're not alive. You're not, you know, you're not paying attention to what's here. But to go underneath that, that outrage to, one, the place that really cares. It's coming from a place of truly caring, right? It's coming from a very deep caring and compassion. Right? That's a very wholesome state. And if that caring and compassion can be held with understanding the ignorance that would, that would be expressing through people doing unjust things, then there's the compassion is balanced with equanimity. You know, sometimes better, sometimes worse. But instead of, I, I actually, I, I wrote an article. It's right now in the Huffington Post on the Arizona shootings. It, it's it's uh, the title. I had a different title. My title was Making Sense Out of the Senseless, A Buddhist Perspective. They, they changed it to A Buddhist Perspective on Access to Guns. But... You know. <laughs> What can you do? Uh, but anyway, in the, uh, in, in the article, what I say is the, the real villain isn't those bad people out there, those, those nasty people, those dumb people, those you know, self-centered people, whoever we make into other. The real villain is ignorance. The real villain is not seeing clearly causes and conditions and not seeing where real happiness lies and doing the very things that will cause suffering not only to others but truly to ourselves as well because if you're coming from greed, hatred, and delusion, you're going to be in suffering in one way or another. So if you see instead those rotten people out there, like forgive them, they know not what they do. And then with as much caring that that outrage can help you access, act from a place of love, that's going to be a much more effective way. So you transmute that outrage into skillful action coming out of love and, and joyful service. That's how I see it. Okay, it's probably time to go. So um, that was Enlightenment Part 2. And uh, now you can let go of all the words and know that it's already here in this moment right now. You don't have to go anywhere. Just uh, for a moment, feel your heart center, that place that can touch and be touched by others. And feel the goodness that's in there. That's not something that you can even take credit for. But it's been a gift to you place that loves and cares
can see clearly. Just celebrate that for a moment. Wow. And the awareness that knows that's been gifted to this body and mind. Life moving through this form. And send some loving kindness or kind thoughts to this form called you. May I feel all the love inside and share it well. May I see through my fears and confusions to understand who I really am. May I wake up to my true nature And then to extend this out to everyone here and all beings everywhere, as I want to be happy, may all find real happiness. As I want peace, may all find peace in their lives. May all learn to share their love well. May all wake up to their true nature. And may our coming here together be of benefit to ourselves, everyone in our lives, and all beings everywhere. very much for your attention. Have a great week. See you next week. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.